Welcome to Cards, Cubes, and Complex Rules, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. We're recording at Demolition Games, located 3300 South and 85 West, Salt Lake City, Utah. If you're in the Salt Lake City area, we highly suggest coming down to Demolition for great deals. Today is Saturday, July 27th, 2019. Episode 1, Spiel des Jahres. On today's episode, we talk about the winners and nominations of the Spiel, games that we played over the last week or so, a random board game question from each of us, our top three game favorite games of all time, then we unbox a game that none of us have ever played before, talk about the components and our expectations, and which if you join us next week, you will hear our actual thoughts about the game after it was played. Today's game is Aria, and we are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Jake. I'm Matt. I'm Justine. So the spiel, the spiel. There's a U in it. Spiel. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are your guys' feelings about it? Like, is it something that you're excited about every year? Do you guys pay attention to it? It's like the board game equivalent of the Oscar, in which you almost feel like you're watching it to see. Like almost as like a sport to see it win, but it doesn't feel like the actual weight of the award doesn't change my mind about something. I'm never gonna run and play something because it has the spiel to Yaris. But people will though. People will. Yeah. Especially internationally, and just like the Oscars, everybody talks about how it doesn't matter and they don't care, and then they Mm -hmm. keep talking about it and keep talking about it, and like I don't even care, and it's like, dude, I think you care. And yet they're out there (laughs) recording podcasts about it. Yeah. So what's interesting about it, though, is that it almost has a direct correlation with the hobby even existing. Because if you look in the 70s, Americans were playing pretty bad games like Monopoly and, and things that we grew up with. In Germany, it wasn't too different. There was just more of it. But they were more interested in games than America seemed to be. In fact, they had like reviews of games in the newspapers. So what they did in 1978 was they created a committee to nominate games of the year and then give the award to the best game of the year. What this did to designers was they decided we're going to create a game better than the last winner, creating the evolution of games and giving us the games that we know and love today. Um, the Spiel nominees were LAMA, which is an acronym, but I don't know what it stands for. It's L-A-M-A, but it has a LAMA on it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. But <laughs> does it stand for anything? I haven't... I, I don't I've know. I've heard. I can't remember. No, no. I think he just said it didn't. Really? It's just LAMA, but he just wants to put in dots? Hmm. Interesting. It's uh, Reiner Knizia. Oh, interesting. Uh, where words and just one... And the winner was just one. <coughs> just one had just one. Two just <laughs> of the other games, they submitted the same name, so they got eliminated. But um, <laughs> uh, um, just one has been a favorite of our, our game nights. Uh, we usually clear up by 10 p.m., 9 p.m., 9.15, rolls around, and it's, what game are we playing to finish out the night? And it's, it's just one. We're kind of obsessed with trying to get a perfect score. Yes. And a perfect score is 13, and we've gotten 11. It's fun, and it's, like, thinky at the same time, but when you're thinking, it's, like, still fun because you're yeah. trying to come up with a word that's that nobody else is going to pick, 
but that is going to lead the person to the word that they're trying to guess. Or decide if you're going to be the one that gives the really obvious clue that no one else is going to do because they're trying to outthink the game. That's very true. Um, The interesting part about Just One for me is that party games are usually something that I have more fun playing with casual gamers Uh because they seem to just like kind of know to laugh and have fun during games, whereas serious gamers might take the party game too serious. But in this case, with just one, I have more fun playing it with my gaming group than I do with casual players. They just seem to get how you're supposed to play it, whereas I'll explain the rules to casual gamers and we'll flip it over and everybody's written the same thing, and I go, oh, I thought (laughs) I'd explain this part. (laughs) Uh, I think Just One is a great example of a game just being dead simple and just having an amazing game out of just having basically, like, no mechanics. You could play this with a sheet of notepaper really easily Mm -hmm. uh, for that one. And it's crazy to think, like, how many of the designs are still out there when they almost just feel like something you could just play in grades. I feel like it's a controversy with Just One, uh, and I've heard this with other groups, is that um, just when you're trying to guess uh, the words and the cards there, and some are quite a lot more difficult. So some of them will be like a, a square or grass or something like that there. And then you'll have things like famously Ramsey II or, you know, like a couscous. 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 couscous yeah. I can no longer enjoy that food. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's kind of part of the fun, right? Is like you're trucking along and you're getting words like sleeve and... Um, defense, and then all of a sudden someone says the word or calls for number four, and that word is Ramsey's, and you're going, no! They threw in some combo breakers. They know the perfect score is elusive. And And if you're the one um, guessing the word and everybody goes, oh, you're like, crap. (laughs) (laughs) It all lies on me. It feels a bit too random. It feels like certain words just aren't suitable for this one. Like, you can just look at it and say, like, that's not suitable for just one and it is kind of a randomness it does have that motion where you're like oh no i agree with justine that i think that's part of the game because you you like you you are like doing good doing good and then you've hit a wall and like that's really like how to conquer the game is is all right we can push through this we could we could get them to say the word well it's a i think it's a staple in cooperative games to make it so there's just that little bit of randomness you have to Mm -hmm. conquer to make it so that that's how you beat it you just have to hope the luck goes in your favor but i don't necessarily know if i got that as a good design but just one is fun regardless it's one of those games you can just kind of play it everyone's laughing and having fun it's good for serious gamers and i guess not good for casual gamers i wouldn't have thought that but that's craziness (laughs) oh we're starting to learn the cards um so maybe next time couscous comes up and somebody puts little and rice and grain I'll know to say couscous mm-hmm. which maybe isn't a good thing um, I'd maybe be ready for an expansion pack or something we've played the crap out of it I could use another deck now that it's the winner mm-hmm. maybe we'll see some more cards mm-hmm. the thing about it is you could easily substitute something in for other games like I know you have, any other games that use this like objects like I think you have one called uh, subtext, subtext you were talking about, and yeah. then like there's a bunch of but there's different ones I can't think of him getting over head cold but anything that uses like different <laughs> objects out in the world you could re- honestly use those cards really easily yeah I'm willing to try that too um, so you guys think the the winner this year was justified I mean mm-hmm. I mean out of those games right I mean the spiel is kind of like when I hear the nominations, I go, what? I think there was better games than that. Mm-hmm. And this list, like, kind of wasn't different. But mm-hmm. the winner, I was like, out of those, I'm perfectly fine with it. Um, something they added later on in the years after 1978 when they first 
started doing this award was the Kinderspiel, which we won't really talk about because they're kids' games and none of us have played them. Maybe on maybe in future years I we'll talk about them. Give me a review copy. Um, but also the Kinderspiel, which is um, the Conan Sewers game of the year, Ooh. and those nominees were Carpe Diem, Detective, and Wingspan, in which Wingspan was the winner. You guys uh, played any of those games? <laughs> I've seen their boxes on tables at game nights and have been willing to play them, but I have not yet. Carpe Diem is by Stefan Feld, right? It is by Stefan Feld. Uh-huh. And Detective, that's not the one I'm thinking of it's where it was Ignacia, like a Ignacia, what's his last name? Oh. It's really hard to pronounce. Yeah. Some people call him Ignacia. The, um, <laughs> he did 51st State, right? That guy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I hope they're listening to this podcast for boring games and not punctuation or recommendations because they're going to be... <laughs> yeah, oh, we can't help you the, there. Like the Chronicles of Crime one where you're solving a mystery? Yeah, you're, you're, so, you're a detective. You actually, I think you actually Google things what? like on a computer, but there's a website too that you go to and you like put in information like you're a modern day detective, which like I don't know how I feel about the integrations of technology into board games because mm-hmm. I personally like the touch and feel of board games mm-hmm. and unplugging, but I'm not upset about it. I just yeah. probably won't. I'll just stay away from it. But if uh, we did play an unlock series, which is a game that uses a card and then in- you integrates an app inside there pretty well. Yeah. But uh, I mean, in that one, the cards kind of do the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My problem with uh, games like uh, Chronicles of Crime is that it didn't need cards. Mm-hmm. Like the whole game, you're scanning the cards and looking at the phone or the tablet and like you really for them to have made it just a full like app that you just play in your phone wouldn't have been that hard mm-hmm. um yeah where words has an app right yeah it's you're far from staring at the screen the whole time but i do knock it a little bit i would i prefer games without needing to use the phone at all mm-hmm. yeah me too I, w- I won't complain about it because it's just something that the hobby is it's taking that direction and if I complain about it like I feel like I'm setting myself up to be that old guy that's just going to complain about everything new <laughs> and I don't no, I want to be embrace it yeah. embrace it do it <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, I love Carpe Diem and personally I think that should have been the winner yeah I I like Carpe Diem better than Wingspan mm-hmm. um, I, I think Carpe Diem is a really fun puzzle to try and solve and Wingspan, I mean, it's a good game, and it's beautiful. It's overproduced. Definitely. And going back to what you were saying about the evolution of board games and how these winners kind of push the board games um, that are being designed in a certain direction, I'm worried that people are going to start sacrificing um, mechanics and theme for overproduction. Yeah, we don't want that. We don't, and especially because, like, a lot of reviewers out there today are like set on the, the the theme, the art, and the components being like a major factor in in their uh, opinion about the game. Mm-hmm. Which I don't mind great components in a game mm-hmm. as long as it has great mechanics. Mm-hmm. But I will take a Stefan Feld game any day over something like Wasteland Express that is yeah. like a huge production with great minis in it. But uh, but Wingspan, like hearing that it won. It's it's female designed, mm-hmm. and it's her first game. Congratulations to her. That's awesome. That's yeah. amazing. So 
Justine, what have you played this week? Um, so this week um, I've played one game that I've played before and love, and that's Manhattan Project 2 Minutes to Midnight. Mm. Absolutely love the Manhattan Project series. The Minutes to Midnight game is set during the Cold War, whereas the other ones are set during different periods in history. Um, and I feel like the theme is spot on. The way that the gameplay and the mechanics work to make you feel like you're in a Cold War is really cool because there's no direct attacking another player. You can put bombers in their skies, you can put submarines in their waters, you can put nukes on their little third world countries they control. But none of those are necessarily going to like attack the other player, make them lose actions or the ability to use buildings like in the first game. But you also don't want to be the first person to put the bomber in their skies because they're going to retaliate. Right. I think I do feel a little bit attacked when people start throwing cards into my water and throwing nukes to my third world country. But <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you're going to lose points on that and they're going to gain points on that. But it's not the same as, for example, in the first Manhattan Project game where you're actually dropping bombs on their buildings and now they have to take an extra action to repair those buildings. Yeah, right, right. You're not getting set back. I really like the scoring mechanic in it. I like how it's it's random each game, and you get to a certain point. Is it in in score? Is that how the tra- the time tracker um, is? Number of times players have pulled back their workers every time. Yeah, that's back right. You workers. move yeah. the thing, and then it gets mm-hmm. to a score, and you're scoring this section of the game, mm-hmm. then this section, then this section, this section, and then all the sections. Mm-hmm. Right. I really like that. I played with you guys and another player. And I won the first time I played, and I'll never play it again. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I really like it. So with the scoring mechanism, I think it's really cool because in games that implement a scoring mechanism where you're going to score this thing now, then you're going to score this thing, the strategy tends to be I'm going to spend the first part of the game focusing on that first scoring objective and then the second part of the game on the next scoring objective. But with this being based on when you're pulling workers back, They've set up the timing of the different scoring objectives in such a way that for the first like half of the game, you're not scoring anything. And then it's basically like score, 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 end. And so you really have to concentrate on all four scoring objectives for the whole game. Mm. Otherwise, you're going to score that first one really big, but the rest of them you're not going to be able to score. My strategy in it was to ignore the first one and go for the second one. Mm -hmm. Smart. Because everybody seems like they're rushing for that first one while nobody's paid attention to the second one. But then you have to double back because when the game ends... Mm -hmm. Is it when the game ends is when you do scoring for everything? Yes. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so you have to double back and and focus on the first one while nobody else is now paying attention to that, right? So you can kind Mm -hmm. of jump ahead in that as well. Yeah, two things I love about that game. They make the different countries you are feel like those countries. Mm -hmm. For instance, North Korea is always demanding money from the Western nations to not test nuclear weapons. Um, And like Justine already mentioned, it does feel like a Cold War. The way the mechanisms come together, which is the best way to apply theme, makes it feel like we are Cold War. Uh, How does it compare to the other two for you guys? I like it twice as much as the original and three times as much as the uh, Energy Empire. Empire. Oh, you like Energy Empire? Ah, it's all right. (laughs) 
You don't like dice checking, right? Beautiful. Is that like your quarrel with that game? Is like checking dice. Um, I say I don't like dice chucking, and then I like game after game with dice chucking, so maybe I'm okay with it. Okay. I, I don't hate it. I just really like um, the minutes to midnight is what mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, I think it's I think it's my favorite in the series. It's uh, it's more complex. There's more moving parts. It seems like they just perfected the last two games in this. And I would keep, if they keep caming, coming out with them, I would keep playing them. Uh, but it might just be a trilogy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I definitely think Minutes to Midnight is my favorite out of the series. Mm-hmm. I would say the first Manhattan Project is probably my least favorite because of the bombing mechanic. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, you can just have your entire game ruined if three out of the four players um, beat up on you. You can just have your game completely ruined. That's true. Yeah. I like Energy Empire. I think it's fun. I've... I've heard there's balance issues with it, which I should find for myself. I shouldn't just trust BGG and say, oh, I don't want to pull that game off the shelf. But I've heard the yellow half of the board is a little bit overpowered. Either that or it's the green half of the board, and Mm -hmm. so it's kind of tainted in my mind also. Gotcha. Um, And then later on this week we played, um, sorry, last week, we played a game called Fool's Gold that one of our friends brought to the game group. Um, and that's a very different game from the games that we're used to playing in this group. We tend to like heavier Euro-y, um, not, if not perfect information, close to it kind of games. Mm-hmm. Um, but Fool's Gold is a press your luck. I would classify it maybe as like a heavy party game because there's definitely an aspect of it where you're pulling cards and you're getting really excited. There's times where you're going to roll a dice and you're going to completely fail what you're trying to do. So it's definitely not like a heavy Euro game. It's a party game, but it's a heavy party game. I want to see like a subgenre created of heavy party games. <laughs> like I want like a company to just focus on like party games for for serious gamers. Maybe that's mm-hmm. Blood in the Clock Tower. The rule book is something like uh, 70 pages. Yeah, that's true. I, that... Maybe that's too heavy. And you need a host for it, which I was like, what are you, you know, one person is going to, like, run the game? And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that might be too heavy. This is mm-hmm. nice because it you pull it out. It plays up to five. It plays two to five. I feel like five is the best number. But it's just an easy game. The action point allowance system is really cool. Um, you have coins, and you start off with six. And in most games, when you have a money an economy, you spend the coins and they're gone forever. But these ones you just put out in front of your player's screen and then at the end of the round you pull back. Hmm. So you start with six actions. But during the game, you everyone gains one every round. But then also if you use your worker in a certain way, you can gain two. So it might be that I have eight action points, but Matt might have ten because at some point he used his worker. What's the goal of the game? What are you trying to do in it? You're trying to collect the most gold and then there's a set collection element of gems. So you're trying to get gems from like a lake and a river and a mountain and a forest and okay. hills. It's it's fun. If any of you have seen Buster Scrubs, it really reminds me of the Tom Waits portion where he's yeah. wandering around looking for Mr. Pocket, Mr. Pocket, and then maybe mm-hmm. 
bad, bad and dark things might happen to him, or maybe he might get lucky. It reminded me a ton of that. That's cool. <laughs> I just recently watched that that movie again, and it I, it still held up the second yeah, time. Buster really Scrubs was a masterpiece. I feel like yeah. it doesn't get its due because it was released to Netflix, and somehow that doesn't really count as like a serious film. But um, I wonder. I, I really love that film. If Movies on Netflix are going to start winning Oscars. We'll just assume that if you're listening to this show, you're a geek, <laughs> and, and that means in all facets of, of a geek, which we are. Yeah. Maybe it's like there are a bunch of Amish people listening, and they only play board games. They're listening on their devices. Yeah, like a whole phonogram or something like that. We'll make sure to post on where all... Phonograms yeah. can well, we'll have yeah. to mail them the individual ones and zeros, and then they can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been playing Doppelschon Clever mm. after game nights with Justine. Nice. Uh, Jacob and Brandon actually showed it to us, but we finally bought it ourselves, and it's so perfect for after game nights. Justine can be rolling her dice while I'm messing around in the fridge, and then I can roll the dice, and she can feed the cats, and I can catch up on baseball while she's rolling. Uh, you can play in bed. You can play on the couch. Um, so it's really fun that way. I Do- like Dopo So Clever is just so amazing. I haven't played as many roll rights as I feel like the rest of the people at this table, but I think it's just the king of roll rights. Yeah, you almost spit out your coffee when you mentioned <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's good, right? And mm-hmm. Wolfgang Warsh, like the minute I played um, Gonshan Clever, the first roll and right, I was like, I think I need to start paying attention to this guy. And yeah, Doppelit's so clever. It, it, both games are available on uh, iOS and, and Android app, and they're they're good. It's the solo game, which is even tougher. Mm-hmm. That game's really fun. Yeah. This week I've been a little under the weather, so I've only played two games. I played Tammany Hall with Matt and mm-hmm. Justine. Have you played Tammany Hall? I have, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's an area control game. It, uh, bo- it's beautifully produced. Um, the artwork looks amazing. It's got it's an overview of New York City, and you're putting down. You, they have these immigrants. You're putting down different cubes of uh, Italians, English people, um, these things in there, and then you have ward bosses in there. Um, the game, you know, I'm not typically a big fan of area control games for that mm-hmm. issue. Um, I thought the game was good. I lost horrifically. It's a mean game. And a game that almost encourages bully against losing players. Um, so, and it does feel mean. So, if, if maybe some not good for all players. And it doesn't sound like mm-hmm. from the description of the game I would normally like. Um, but I was really into it. I thought the theme came through. I felt like the... The pushing really just felt like old, yeah, you know, twenty like nineteenth century politics for that one. It felt mean and gritty. What was your guys' impression, Matt and Justine? Um, like you, I don't normally like uh, screw your neighbor mechanisms, but since this was just pure meanness and pure evil, I actually did like it. How do you get your feelings hurt? Because you know that when you're on your turn, you're going to be hurting somebody else's feelings. Yeah, it's not like in a Euro game. <clears throat> where it just derails you either. And also, you know where people are going to contest you against. So you'll be sitting somewhere and you'll be like, this is my little province, guys. And then somebody will just come in and you're like, no, now i got to fight with that person. Like you, Every time somebody comes in the same place, you know they're there to pick a fight and disrupt your plans. Mm-hmm. So the whole game just feels like, what is this person doing? Why are they coming? Why are they messing with me? Leave me alone. There was something different about it because I'm the, I feel really uncomfortable with like the really confrontational games. They make me... You won or came in second place, right? I came in second place. They make me really uncomfortable. I don't know why. But this game was fun. And I I think maybe it's like Matt said, um, if 
I'm going to be the aggressor. I know someone's going to come get me back. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's it's a fun game. I agree with you guys. I, it, it is a game where I look at and I go, I'm probably not going to like this. And then I play it and something about it just goes, yep. I th- the role selection is cool, right? So you select a role and like that you get a special Well, somebody kind of wins mayor every four years. That's right. They, have that's the, right. they get to get yeah. victory points. So then they get yeah. to do any special powers, but then they have these offices and there's really no negotiating in this game. I mean, deals aren't binding. You can't give other players resources. So you're basically just like, I have to give out these things. Or who do I kind of want to get the good thing? Who do I want to give the good thing that doesn't help their plan? So, like, you give them a good power, but it doesn't That's give right. the thing there. Like, it really feels like you're being devious. It's not role selection, right? The mayor gives out the roles. No. Yeah. That's right. right. That's right. That's fun. Um, it is actually a reworking of a, ga- a game called Gangs of New York, which I looked at on Amazon. It was, like, really cheap, and I almost bought it. But then when I looked further into it, I was like, Tammany Hall's the better game. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I, I don't know the exact changes on it, but I don't think the mayor and the roles were in Gangs of New York, but I could be wrong. But I didn't see him when I was looking at the components. So, yeah. Uh, and then the other game I played, uh, just a two-player game, I played Castle some Burgundy. Uh, and I actually played that with my girlfriend. She's not hasn't really played. So her intro her her introduction to board games, she said she played Seven Wonders once at a party or something. And then she went I loved it so much she went out and bought it. Um in any case, I, I you know, first of all it was good because I wanted to kinda show her what I felt is kind of a quintessential Euro game that's very different than what most people think of as a board game, uh, where it's very strategic. There are a lot of complicated rules for that issue. And I also wanted to revisit one of uh, Stefan Feld's classic works, which is typically regarded as his best work, and a game that I played and loved six years ago and have not returned to. Uh, I mean, I ran out and bought it. It's been sitting on my shelf. Um, the game is good. Um, the game, for people who don't know, you're rolling dice, and then you there's you have a tableau in front of you, and you're taking tiles uh, off of the board based on the dice roll, and then you have different mechanics where you can adjust the dice roll there. Um, so it has a little bit of randomness, and it has different things where you can go after uh, different segments there. Um <coughs> Uh, my girlfriend liked it. Um, she and I, I felt like it was, she f- kept up with the rules. I mean, she felt like she was in the board game uh, mode there. With that, I thought it was good. But at the end of the game, she her takeaway was, that "I like the game. I want to play it again because next time I want to beat you." <laughs> so this proves a theory I have that there is no such thing as gateway games. It is really relative to the person you're showing yeah. mm-hmm. because there could be people that you show like Ticket to Ride and they're like, mm-hmm. it's over their head, right? They're like, I don't, I yeah. don't get it. Yeah. Um, not, not very many, but some people just won't grasp that and you might have to show them a game like, yeah. I don't know, something even simpler. But there's people that you can show like Castles of Burgundy mm-hmm. to and just get it, you know. Um, my fiance is in programming and computer coding and I've showed some of those people like heavier games, and they just get it. Yeah. Their brains the are just like wired for that, you know. Yeah, also the author of the theme song in this uh, podcast. That That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I just I think a gateway game is really going to be dependent on who you're showing. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Wolfgang Warsh, uh, last week I played Quacks of Quildenburg mm. for like, I don't know, the seventh or eighth time. I've played this game a lot. It's a very 
I was going to say basic press your luck game, but it's a little it's a little more than basic. I mean, it's pretty basic, but as far as press your luck games go, it has a little bit more to it. Um, it's a bag building game at the same time, and you have these uh, tiles that are going to show you uh, different ingredients that's going into a pot that you're making. Um, Matt was playing with us, and he kept saying his soup. So I like I <laughs> kind of liked the the fact that he was like this. Uh, this like potion maker just making <laughs> soup, but <laughs> but each um, each ingredient is going to do something different upon which one you're putting in. There's four for each token, mm -hmm. um, except for a couple of basic ones that just go in as is. We played with all fours, so like the the most unforgiving one, mm -hmm. and you're pulling you're you're pulling little chits out of a bag, and it has a number on it. And sometimes a certain thing that it's going to do. And the number will determine how far it goes on this spiral that is your pot. And there, there's white ones, which I don't know what the ingredient is. Did you catch what the ingredient was for the white ones? Uh, there's little pictures of, I think, poisonous mushrooms. Yeah, okay. I think yeah. thematically they're exploding, though. They're exploding, we yeah. like to say that your soup explodes when you pressure luck. Yeah. Um, so if those exceed seven, they blow up. So you're pressing your luck of... I, I'm pulling these chits out of a bag and I'm trying to go the furthest and trying to get the most points and you're also getting buying points which you can build your bag upon. Um, it's it's fun. Shouldn't take it serious. I hardly ever win, but I love playing it. Like kind of like what Jacob was saying, like I could be dead last and still just have fun pulling these chits and going one more. Just one more. Uh -huh. And that's really fun and that's um, also by Wolfgang Warsh. That has and that game has the catch-up mechanism of all catch-up mechanisms. Yeah. It's almost like the central mechanism to the game. The farther behind you are, um, the more stuff you get. I think I exploded the first four rounds and then came back to win because of it. I think that's how to do it, too. Mm -hmm. I think you explode <laughs> and you just ignore points and just okay. buy. Um, yeah, the catch-up mechanic is ra there's rats on the, on the scoring track. And their tails will go in between the, the two points. And so you look at the first player and you count how many rat tails are in between you and them. Uh -huh. And that's how far you can start on your pot. So you're starting further. Um, yeah, it's a great game. Uh, how long does that game play with like four players or so? How long? Not very long. 30, yeah. 40 minutes. 30, 45 minutes. Oh, so it's all your action rounds like, are simultaneous. Like, yeah, yeah, that's the thing is you're pulling all at the same time. Okay. The last round you... You pull together and hold out your hand and then reveal whether you're going to stay in or stay or, or get out. Okay, so and it's like a light kind of pressure luck game. Yeah, it's like uh -huh. overstay as well. Yeah. It's fun. And there's kind of no opportunity for analysis paralysis because there's not That's a true. lot of calculation. It's just what can you think about other than do I feel lucky? <laughs> do I not feel lucky? Do I feel lucky? How long can you think? <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, my other game is also a game by Wolfgang Warsh, and it's one of those games that, like, um, I'm never like excited to get to the table, and I'm never like very pushy on let's play this. It just works perfect when you're waiting for people to show up, or you only have 15 minutes to cap the night, and it's Illusion. Mm, yeah. um, Illusion is a game much like the Cardline series. Like, um, what's one of them? Timeline. Timeline is one of them. Yeah, where you you have these abstract-looking art cards with. Um, three different colors on it, right? It's red, blue, yellow, green, four different oh, colors. Um, 
and you you have one of the cards down, and then you're basically just putting the next card either where you think it. We have an arrow pulled, and it says what color we're, we're evaluating. So if it's red, then we you have to decide is this card have more red or less red, or in between two cards as far as percentage goes. Um, on your turn, you could either add a card or you can call it. And if you call it, you're calling it incorrect. You flip over the cards, they have the percentage of each color that's on the cards. And if you are, if it's all correct, then the card, the arrow card, goes to the person who last placed the card. If it's wrong and you called it, then you get the card first to three of those arrow cards wins. Extremely simple, but there's, well, like the game suggests, illusions in it. Mm -hmm. You're yeah. like, there's this definitely has more green in it, and you flip it, and you're like, wow, that's I think, way off. I think illusion might be one of the best filler games because it is so simple to get to the table, and it's almost immediately recognizable, people. You almost don't have to explain the rules. Like, if there was that's a true. language barrier, and you could mm -hmm. just kind of point to the cards, I feel like people would sort of get it for this mm -hmm. item there. And it also should be mentioned, like, the different... Because every card will have four colors on there, and every time it's going to be random which color you're doing the thing there. And sometimes it'll be completely obvious. We'll have one card that's completely blue, and then a card will just have a little bit of blue, and then eventually this tableau forms with five cards. And then you have a choice because you're like, usually it'll come down to people are, are not quite sure that the, uh, the order is right. They're like, Amphi. But then you have this other card, and the other card is just this, like, you're like, oh my god, this has got to be off by one percentage point. And that's the other thing. On the other time in the card, it'll show the exact percentage of the colors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you'll know. So sometimes you'll, I've had it where it's exactly the same between two cards. Yep. Um, for that order. Or sometimes it's off by one percent. And it's just, it's, it's great. It makes you think. It gives you good, tough decisions. Um, it's sort of uniquely applicable between gamers. And it's also just fast and light. Sets itself up and takes itself down really quickly. Mm -hmm. I love the decision you get when you look down at the card you're going to have to place if you're going to place, and you have no idea where in the line it goes. Mm. But then you look at the line and you're like, "But the line's right, so I have to <laughs> place the card." Yeah. It's a fun game. I like yeah. it a lot. That's an illusion for people who don't want to rewind the podcast by Wolfgang Barsch. Mm -hmm. Matt, give us your random question. Um, I wanted to talk about house rules. Um, I'm very pro-house rule in general. I think generally board games are designed for a pretty wide audience, and so designers have to kind of make decisions that appease everybody. But then once you buy the game, you're the boss, and you can tailor it to your specific needs. I'm sure other people have way different thoughts and think that they're someday going to be playing tournaments of all of these games and they have to have unified rules. So I was going to ask you guys your opinion on house rules, maybe ask you to share a favorite house rule. Um, I'll start. My favorite house rule is in Lorenzo di Magnifico. At the start of the game, there's an option for what families you are, right? There's a ladder with more resources at the bottom and fewer resources at the top. The top notch, you have no resources, and those are the resources you start with. Um, so if you want to auction somebody by going up the ladder uh, to get the family, you're going to start with less things, right? So that's the cost. Well, uh, some of the families we thought were so weak that we didn't even want all the resources in the world that the ladder offered in order to take them. So what we did is we combined all three of them into one family, and you got these three weaker powers, and it was really fun to play. Um, if you guys have played the game, they are specifically selling shields to money, getting a discount on purple cards, 
and then the yellow card when you spend stone and wood you kind of get it back um, one of your favorite games Brandon is Lorenzo does this sound horrific to you uh, no to play with the worst families is that what to you combine said? them all into one family so all three of those are your family you get all three powers that's one is this blasphemy thing to, to yes. auction on that's interesting uh, now, wait, each one of those cards You're gives you a starting loadout. Yeah. So which loadout do you get? You just auction for it as if it were one family. Yeah, so maybe you get it for a lot of resources, maybe not, depending on what the other players mm -hmm. feel it's worth yeah, is. Yeah, one. Yeah, um, I, would, I would like to try that way. But I fear that somebody might see an optimal, really good strategy having all three of those. That seems really good, actually. It did turn into one of the better families. Yeah. And so later but on... But you think it's equal to the other families? Yeah, so some saying? of the other yeah. good families. Yeah, yeah, just put it more in line. That's it, cool. It, yeah. it should also be mentioned for listeners that you guys are like... You guys could be Lorenzo de' Medici tournament players for how much you guys... You guys are all into the 20 and 30 plays of that game, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, maybe 15 for me. Yeah. 15. Yeah. You, but you guys yeah. play a two-player just in the mat. So you guys have played that quite a number and of times. And we play it with a, another group, yeah. Another we group. play it a oh, fair nice. amount. Um... So my favorite house rule actually came about because Matt and I started playing board games with just the two of us, and so we've had to um, balance a lot of games for two players. And one of the first games we started playing was Terra Mystica, mm -hmm. and we loved it. But the problem we kept running into was that the map was just too big for two players. So maybe I'm playing the Witches, the Green Faction, and Matt's playing... Uh, the Darklings, the Black Faction, and I'm just on the right side of the map, and he's on the left side of the map, and we never touch, and it's not a big deal. And so it's kind of just an efficiency puzzle. Um, so the first thing we tried was we tried to cover up half the map with a magazine, and that just created balance issues because of the way that the, the hexes are spread out. And so finally we landed on a variant where we each get two factions so we pull four mm. random factions um, and those are the ones that we're going to be auctioning on so we auction for starting points based on the factions and you auction individually so you might get two factions that like really go together you might get two factions that really don't and then you can use the factions to kind of bounce off of each other and for the score you take the lowest scoring faction of your two um, and it's just a fun two-player. It tightens up the map, and it gives you some interesting decisions because all of a sudden the halflings might be digging is their special power, but they might be digging in order to help out their friends. Uh, how long does it include uh, increase the playtime for a game like Terra Mystica? For us, it doesn't. Yeah, Justine and I are both fast, and we're super fluent at the game. So it's mm -hmm. snappy, I'd say. We get it in less than an hour. Mm -hmm. So you guys take your two players in the game. Yeah. Right, each. That's So do you do it like I take my turn for my faction, your turn for your faction, my turn for my, uh, my other faction, then your turn for your other faction? There's variable turn order in Paramystica, so we try oh, to just like right. uh, four-player right. yeah. game. Okay, you might yeah. be one and two, and she might be three and four. Yeah, uh -huh. okay. Um, does each one get a, each faction gets their own tile when you pass turn, so they'll get their yeah. own resource? Yeah, so, so you yeah. just play it straight ahead. How do you do Canizia scoring, where your lowest scoring uh -huh. faction yes. is the winner? Yes. That's cool. And That's that really cool. It ends up with some really interesting decisions because you're looking at your two factions 
and they're so close and you have to decide which faction is going to be the lower. So which faction do I want to give points to? Which fact? And if I give them too many points, now all of a sudden this other faction is going to be the lower scoring one. Mm-hmm. It's that's a that's really a cool variant. Fun. That should be yeah. like included in the rules. You guys should post that on BGG probably. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like self king making. You know, um, I don't typically like house rules, except for you guys are kind of changing my mind on this. The reason why I don't like house rules is because like I I I don't want to design a game. Mm-hmm. And w- how I looked at house rules is typically like there's a flaw in the game, so you fix the flaw. For instance, my answer is in Wingspan, you get dealt five cards, and that's what you start with. And that could ruin somebody's game because they could get cards that just aren't going to work for them, and they can't, they can't get them down. They're too expensive. So I included a draft variant where you just draft one card at a time, passing cards left, and so you have five cards in your hand. That makes it a bit better for people that get dealt a crappy hand. But what you guys are doing is just making it... Well, first of all, you created a two-player game out of Terra Mystica, which doesn't work well at two. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just created something interesting with Lorenzo to like just spice up something that felt like lackluster in it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty neat. I'm all all about um, house ruling it to make games a little bit more interesting rather than fixing yeah. a game, which I, I never really gave thought on. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of the same with you. I, I don't like house ruling. Um, I actually had to struggle in my brain to think of a house rule. I'm, I'm getting over a cold, uh, and I was like at work thinking about like house rules, house rules, Jacob, think of house rules for this issue. Um, the big one that comes to mind is I like to play a game called Teach You, and in the rules in Teach You, it says you put the, the deck in the middle of all four players, and then each player is supposed to draw a card off of the top of the deck. Because what's happened is after you have seven cards in your hand, you can declare something called a grand teach you. And you have to declare that before you draw the eighth card. The problem is in practice is getting gamers to go around and each take a card like in turn. It's like, I mean, it'd be easier for them to construct and build a, you know, a nuclear reactor. Um, just with, oh, who hasn't taken their card yet? Did you take your card yet? Um, so the way around that is you just deal out each seven cards in front of each player and then you deal out a second stack of the remaining cards, and then you look at the seven cards, decide if you're going to say Grain Teach You, and then if not, you just draw the rest of the remaining cards. Um, I do have two proposed house rules that have been vetoed by this rule. The first is then Decrypto. I think you should get a veto on one of your words if it's too similar. Like if you have something like Summer and like, or something like Storm and Rainfall, like it's just too close together mm. for these ones like that there. But every time I brought this up, people are too uh, a little bit down on it. And then the other one is just for um, including myself. But yeah. but I, I yeah. do agree with you. If it's storm and, and rain, like you're yeah. And I've I had think, that, I've yeah. seen that happen where and it just completely torpedoes you. Yeah. You're, kind of has to be so specific to which word you're doing and just lets the other team just narrow in on it. Yeah. So I think I didn't I wasn't listening when you when you introduced Great. that house rule before because <laughs> I thought you were just like if we don't like a if we don't like a word we could veto it. And I'm like, no, let's just play with what we but that yeah. makes more if two words are too similar. So I'm on board with you. Mm-hmm. Next time I'll well, press it with you. It'd be a general <laughs> general use one. Yeah. I guess you could do yeah. if you don't like the word if it's kind of offensive or something. And then the other one's just for just one. I I think some there's some be some kind of I mean I I think we've already hashed this out on the podcast, but there's something. Some of the words in just one are just like, come on, this word is stupid. I don't think those should be vetoed. But if we've a, a majority of us have already seen the word, mm-hmm. we could just say, pick another number. 
because we remember what we put. I sometimes remember what everyone else at the table put for a word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of a not fun metagame of should I put it again? Should I just for fun think of something else which is more random? And I want to use another word set with just one. I want to use another one for trap words because I think those one had some really good words uh, for those ones that are general use. And then also the first row of uh, subtext. Mm-hmm. It's pretty should be straight across the board. Sure. Like words. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, a general house rule that I always... I think our gaming group always does too is if you want to take back a turn mm. that you did and it doesn't take a lot to rewind it mm-hmm. and the other player that is after you hasn't taken their turn yet then you can take back your turn. Mm-hmm. That's kind of general like ooh I just I just saw something I just made a yeah. big mistake can I yeah. can I take it back? Yeah. And that's typically fun. I think my hard line on that one is either when you'd have to rerun like 10 things or if it's like feeding into analysis paralysis. Like sometimes people would be like, I want to do this and like change this thing around here to get the optimal move. I'm like, no, just you didn't make the optimal move. You just have to run with it. We can't. Yeah, we, yeah. We can't do the Superman thing where we fly right. around the earth three times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mistakes that's make it interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, as, and as long as like the, it's not going to affect the player who's yeah. like taking their turn. Yeah. But if it's like. Oh, can I just switch these resources out? Especially if it's like a clearly optimal move, because it would feel bad, or, and like that wouldn't affect anything like that there. Mm-hmm. Like, and then it should be pretty profound. In the whole game, you're just thinking like, they would have let me take this back. I could have been in the lead. As long as it's not agreed. I don't even formally ask a lot of times. A lot of times, I'll just throw wood in a pile and then get out a stone, and I'm like ready to explain myself, but no one's looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> so what you're saying is we could cheat in this gaming group? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jacob, what's your random? question. Uh, so recently there's a movie in theater called Yesterday. As this guy wakes up, the Beatles are no longer a thing, and then he just goes around saying, like, oh, I wrote this song called Strawberry Fields Forever. <laughs> you know, and that's the whole movie, I guess. Um, but, um, so it's basically like, you go to sleep one night, you know, you don't have time to prepare for this one. You wake up the next morning, and you're like, honey, why do we just have black shelves, like, with nothing in them? Because there's no board games, like, nothing that we consider board games, just the games you grew up with. So none of the designer games are being board games. Because what you create, realistic, what could you create? Like, mm-hmm. if you think about that one, because there's a lot of games where it's like, there's like 20 specialty buildings, you're like, okay, I don't think yeah. I won using this one. <laughs> um, initially, I thought, yeah, I could recreate all my favorite games, of course, but about every so often, we pull down a game that we haven't played for three years. We open it up, we think we're going to be so familiar with it, and we're like, ah, oh, what are all the rules? So maybe we would suck at it more than we think, mm-hmm. because you only have to miss one little thing to yeah. tank a game. Most recently, there's a Steffenfeld game called Amerigo that mm-hmm. we had played oh, correctly yeah. for two years. We Loved put it, it on the shelf. We pull it off and randomly forget a very central rule, and it took all of the dynamics out of the game. The game played itself. We were about to quit halfway, and we're like, I don't remember this game sucking so much. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, why, why did we like this game? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we've, we've reread the rule book and figured it out. Um, my game that I think I could reconstruct would be Azul, mm-hmm. um, yeah. the, the original Azul. It would probably have to be the grayed outside because I couldn't remember that pattern on the front for the life of me. But, I mean, I feel like it's there's few pieces, it's simple components, it's simple rules. I feel like I could create a Zool from scratch if I was forced to. Oh, sure, yeah. Hmm. You're just like, 
made me think of a better answer. But uh, my original answer, you typically you want to design your favorite game, right? Because you're like, I want to come out with this amazing game. Mm -hmm. But like Jacob said, there's buildings, there's cards, there's no way to memorize everything mm -hmm. in a game. And even like Azul, how many tiles are in the game? I mean, um, yeah. but oh, the thing is, you 20? <laughs> 20 of each, I think. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, you know, nice. Yeah. That's the thing we've we take for granted how much happens in the design <laughs> oh, process yeah. when they're like, oh, this little rule right here fixes this big issue that you never saw because you never went the design process. Yeah. It wouldn't be like yesterday because, like, if you know the Beatles songs, like, it's it, you just need to know the riffs and the lyrics. Um, with games, you need to know so many things. Mm -hmm. And you you probably would still have to play test it. You wouldn't be able to be like, look at this game I created. You'd probably still have to play test it because you might have missed something. You might have forgot something. Um, mine is modern art. Mm -hmm. Because I could probably jot down all the auctions that are in it pretty easily. I don't think I remember the actual iconography for each one, but I could come up with something easily. Um, the artist names I don't remember, but I could pick my own favorite artists. Mm -hmm. And they're just different colors, and I know the scoring is very easy. But um, I almost want to change my answer because of Justine's answer. Yeah. Yench, I could uh, design right now. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Except the board. I don't know exactly how the... Yeah, the it's like a hexagon, but like the corners the might be missing or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, I would have to play test that, too. So I'm sticking to modern art because I really mm -hmm. like modern art. And I think if no designer games were out and yeah. I'm creating the first designer game, I can't do something too complicated or too boring. Where I don't find Yench boring, but people coming from Monopoly might be like, this yeah. is boring and it's only two players and modern art plays up to five. If and it's like yelling and auctioning. And yeah. if, if you had it like a dare to design, like Reiner Knizia, like you just had to remember, Reiner Knizia is, I feel like, his works, because first of all, his stuff came early in the board game movement, so it's almost like the jumping off point from mm -hmm. other board games there. And also his stuff tends to be sort of very basic, but it's very intricate stuff, and it's sort of easy to remember. Um, I mean, I, I don't even know. Nothing involving any kind of complexity. I, if I learned the rules from a game last week and I pull it out there, like I'm going to have lost like 50% of the stuff. That I, you could definitely do just one and skull, mm -hmm. very simple yeah. games like that. But yeah. anything complicated, Euro game, it, I think it would just be a huge train wreck of me just like mixing up mechanics and mm -hmm. being like, and then like homegrown art with like Sharpie <laughs> markers. Yeah. <and> <laughs> <laughs> you like, would hire an artist and try to do the whole thing on your own. <laughs> <laughs> Save that money. Um, if it was like, yesterday where we pick a designer and like we get to design all their games I think Reiner Knizia would be good because uh -huh. he's got like like you said like yeah. games to start people and then heavier games too yeah and like yeah. in yesterday it's hard to it's also hard to imagine the evolution of board games without his influence and yeah yeah, yeah definitely so, mm -hmm. what's your question Justine um, so my question was what games were um, different when you played them than what you expected? That's kind of something we want to do on this board game podcast is talk about expectations. And so there's been a couple of games that I've either been like, eh, and not been interested in, but as soon as I get forced into playing, I'm like, this is really good, or it can go the other way. So what are games that you've played that have been different from what you expected? So... Stefan Feld's Bora Bora. Looking at that game and looking how colorful it is and how bright, it looked like it might be a, 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 one of his simpler games. You know, like maybe like Carpe Diem uh, mm -hmm. weight level. But 
surprisingly enough, um, it was pretty heavy of a game and a lot of moving pieces and a lot of rules, and I really enjoyed it. I didn't think that I was going to um, dislike it. I just was worried that, like, oh, it's going to be kind of simple. And I played it, and I was just, like, blown away by mm-hmm. how good it was. Bora Bora. Lahab, that's what I was going to say there. So, yeah, I played the whole Lahab uh, two weeks ago for that issue. And I think the reason why it just kind of flunks me is this is a very different game design. Uh, there's nothing off the top of my head. There's nothing quite like that one there. Um, so I think I thought it to be it's going to be a little bit different uh, from what it was. Um, but, yeah, Matt, what was yours? Um, I'm going to go negative, too. Uh, Bunny Kingdom. I didn't expect to love it, but I thought the decision space was kind of really vacant. Um, there's no displacing other people's bunnies. Once you have a square, it's never going away. So I was actually never stressed out about connecting or anything. Um, you're merely drafting cards, but there's kind of no defense to be played in our three-player game because then the other person just benefits, right? And you have enough stuff that you want. So I felt we just fell into a pattern of, I hope I get good cards, I hope I get good cards, I hope I get good cards, the game's over. So I was disappointed by that, but maybe we need to try it with the expansion, and maybe that means it's a two-player game, so you can play a little bit more defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you know the two-player variant? No, I don't. Tell so you, you draft you draft a card, you discard a card. Oh, so, perfect. So your hate, hate drafting is not affecting you, your game. I think yeah. I'm going to like that a lot yeah. more. Yeah. I, um, I like actually really too. like Bunny Kingdoms, but you're right, and I never realized that it is really luck-heavy. Mm-hmm. Like, really luck-heavy. But I don't feel that way. I feel like I've built a strategy, and now I am searching for a card and hoping that I get it. But I, I, I like Bunny Kingdoms. Um, mine is also negative, and it was <laughs> Gugong. Um, I mm. watched a run-through of this game. I read the rules. I was really excited to play it, and we ordered it. Um, and we opened it, and we read the rules, and we played it. And we got done, and we were just like, what happened? That was it? That was the game? You remember this, right? Right. Um, We just felt like nothing really happened, that we just spent 45 minutes to an hour swapping cards around a board. Um, And that was two-player. We managed to get it to the table and play it with four players, and it was better, but it still kind of just moving cards around a board. Hmm. Which, like, people complain that Euro games are, like, pushing cubes and, and mm-hmm. whatnot, but yeah. what what they don't realize is that it's actually interesting, and there is games that do it in an uninteresting way. You're yeah. saying that Gugon is one of them. Yeah. I haven't played yeah. it yet. I was really sad. Okay, so my question is, is um, so Gen Con's coming up, depending on when you're listening to this. For us, it's less than a week. It's August 1st. For if you're listening to this when it first airs, it's even lesser than a week. <laughs> if you're listening to it after that, well, it happened. Um, so my question is, is there any games that we're excited about um, as far as the Gen Con releases goes? Uh, yeah, You can look at a thread on, on BGG um, that will list all of the Gen Con releases for 2019. Uh, <coughs> Jacob, what are you excited for? Oh, I was just going to say, no, and that the thread has 614 games <laughs> on it. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of absurd to think about it, because you're releasing 614 games, and that's just the ones that are coming to Gen Con this issue, and that's more games than probably every, any reasonable person will play in the course of 
two years, three years? I don't know. That's a good point. Uh, you have to look at availability on it because some will say demo and some will say uh, for sale. So not all those games are, are releasing on Gen Con. I would say more than half are, though. But even so, are we going to play 300 games in one year? Yeah. And some of those ones I think are already Actually, out. Like I've seen the Inish <laughs> expansion on our shelf. Yeah. Demolition Games on 33rd Street in Salt Lake City. Um, but uh, and then I guess it's also listening uh, thing there. Um, but uh, maybe we should start with Wolf Game Varsh, because I just wrote down a couple ones of interest here. I don't know how many other people wrote down a uh, different title, um, but uh, it seems like Wolfgang, Wolfgang Barsh's uh, name comes up a lot uh, with the Quacks of Quiddlingburger, and then also we talked about Illusion, and then um, those ones, uh, and he has a new one coming out, which just hyped, I've been hyped up, which is the Taverns of Terfalthenthal? Tiefenthal. Tiefenthal. Which is actually, unfortunately, just a demo. My prediction is uh, an, an Essen release. Mm -hmm. But they're going to demo it there, so you, you would, if you're going... Gen Con, you'll be able to play it. Okay. I'm extremely stoked for this game. I, th I believe I read it is coming out, it's come out Q4 in North America. I believe it's already out in Germany. It is. Uh, for that one. I almost <laughs> spent $70 to get it, but I was like, not again. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I realized going through this list, there are games that I just want to be have a good version of this type of games and the games I find myself just reading the description of because there's 614 so you're just scrolling down through each mm -hmm. one and looking for something to pop out of you right, are yeah. just like word games and trivia games because I want a game that said like this is a great game of that version because I really like a good trivia game but it's hard to make a good trivia game it's hard to good write a good trivia game uh, trivia question it's an underrated skill and I think it's people don't recognize that one and then just like a really good word game you know it lets you use letters to create words there they have different versions of that one obviously Scrabble they have paperback hardback a few <laughs> other ones uh, letter uh, spiels spell smashers but I just want a really great one that says like oh we figured it out uh, for that one but now what did you guys think Matt Justine? Um, I was most pumped about expansions to current games I care a lot about designer pedigree so mm -hmm. I'm not going to mm -hmm. trust a lot of these random games I'm scrolling mm. through, though I'm sure a lot of them will end up being good. I just don't know how to differentiate them just yet. But um, Teo Teowakan City of the Gods is getting an expansion oh. um, called the pre-neoclassical period or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, that game has trouble getting off the shelf, and I'm hoping that maybe this expansion will fix it. It seems like there's not very much of a variable setup. So I think it just needs more stuff to get people more willing to play it the third time. I think people played it twice and said, oh, the Central Pyramid was a fun gimmick, but really a computer could solve this really fast. Um, I really like that game, and I hope this expansion brings in something that gets it off the shelf. It looks to me like we are just getting new tiles to put over the old tiles, and they're including a few more special abilities. Um, and what I hope it is isn't, is not an expansion that should have just been released with the original game. Mm -hmm. um, because the original game kind of, you can tell by the way they number things that they were ready to slot in some expansion components already, and I don't like it when games do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, also, Marco Polo, okay, this one isn't available, this one isn't even a demo, this one is available for playtesting, but there's going to be a Marco Polo 2, that's yeah, just a working that. title. 
Mm -hmm. um, Hopefully, right? Yes. Marco Polo too. <laughs> <laughs> a little unoriginal. <laughs> there's been to call too. There's been like Pax Premier too. Some people That's, do it, and yeah. we get over it. Um, <laughs> but Marco Polo also doesn't get off the shelf as much as I would like it to because maybe a few tragic flaws that maybe they could fix or something. Ostensibly, you're supposed to be going from Europe to China, but you, if you want to just sit in Moscow and fulfill contracts kind of a good strategy and so I'm hoping maybe Marco Polo 2 just kind of does change it to a race to China game I think Marco Polo is fine I just think those designers have done better games since and I'd just rather play those um, but it does excite me that uh, Lucio Fulci what no that's a director gosh I'm, <laughs> I'm mixing up my my uh, my yeah my geekdom with with uh, they're both Italian um, Simone Luciani and Danielle Toscanini are mm -hmm. both doing it together. That's really exciting. Um, is anyone talking about Barrage? I'll let you. All right, Justine. Um, <laughs> so I went through the list, and the one that jumped out at me is Barrage. And honestly, I'm not sure if it's available for demo or for buying. It's demo. It's a Kickstarter. So Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's by Simone Luciani. I trust almost everything he does. Um, we have a shelf dedicated to him at our house. Um, basically anything he does, I'll buy. Um, from what I've been able to research about it, so it's about building dams to get um, to get power, hydroelectric power. And so you might want to spend a lot of money to build a dam upstream, and you're going to reduce the amount of water that's going downstream for your opponents. Um, the I've heard that the way that the water mechanic works is really interesting and different. My only concern is on BGG right now, it has a 5.8 rating. And that is because they didn't deliver a lot of the Kickstarter things. A lot of the components are supposed to be better, but they're thinner than they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be really three-dimensional and stacking. It's very late in its delivery, and it's very expensive. So there are a lot of very disgruntled people that started a campaign saying, go on BGG and rate it a 1 already before uh, it comes That's out. why oh. I hate BGG ratings, because oh. you never know why they have a, <laughs> a bad rating. It could be because either somebody played it that doesn't play those types of games, mm -hmm. or for something like that where they're just like, screw this game. Or really yeah. high rating. Like something's like an 8.2 up in the sky and you're like, I don't trust this. This yeah. feels like yeah. a trap. And they're That's just like, this feels like a trap. And they're just like rating it high because the po components were really good. Yeah, or it just serves <laughs> a niche community and there's all just like groups like, this is the best game ever. Pax mm -hmm. Premier. Barrage <laughs> looks really cool to me. I, I, I'm in the same boat as you is where like I, that's maybe... One of the only designers that I will just buy blind. Yeah. Like, uh, typically, it, I'm I'm not ever gonna buy a game blind, even if it's by a, like a, um, a a designer I really like because I'm I get excited to look at the game mm -hmm. and and look at the the mechanisms. But if somehow a Simone Luciani game were to just appear on a shelf and I had never heard of it, I would just buy it. Yeah. Be because of his pedigree. Um, he has stated that it's his, mo his his heaviest game to date, which excites wow. me because yeah. he, well, he typically I think designs medium weight games, but again, that's like that. It, it depends on who's playing him. Some people might consider him really heavy. Some eighteen XX players might be like it's really light, um, but uh, a really heavy game from that designer really excites me. Yeah, you guys were very frugal with your list. I had more, but I know I some. Right. Of them. I was not. Here we go. Here we go. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna list them off very quickly. Right. Uh, the last one I think um, 
we could probably discuss. Yeah, um, Reavers of Midgard. It's uh, a sequel to Champions of Midgard. Oh. But what they're doing, what I heard, that they're doing a heavy Euro game based on that world, which is this one, and then a heavy Amerithrash game, which is going to be the third one, which I'm less interested in, of course. Yeah. Um, Abomination, the heir of Frankenstein. Um, so I'm, I'm a huge horror movie fan, and I've yet to see a good heavy Euro game or even medium weight Euro game that has a horror theme on it. Mm-hmm. This m- hopefully is the one. Uh, Very few like, medium or heavy Euro games have a theme at all, but go ahead. That's true, but to me, I don't care. Like To yeah. me, it's just like art and components. Like yeah. I just want to see Frankenstein. I want to be building a, a, a Frankenstein monster. Trading yeah. your knife like, tokens for a, a, a corpse cube. That's all it takes <laughs> for me. I'm a Euro gamer, so like, if the art and components ha- like have a theme on it that I like, cool, because I'm going to be looking at those while I'm yeah. thinking about the very puzzly nature of the game. Um, an expansion for Luxor, The Mummy's Curse. Luxor is a very simple, fun game. It's almost like um, a designer's version of like Parcheesi. Uh, mm-hmm. But the innovative thing is the card mechanic, where you have five cards in your hand. You cannot rearrange them. You could play the one all the way to the right or all the way to the left, and when you add cards, you add them in into the middle. And I think that's this really fun puzzle of uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to play my right card, then my left card, then my other left card, then my then I get to my right card, which I'm really wanting to play. Um, I think an expansion for that it could be really good. Time Chase, which is a renegade game studio game, um, it's, uh, it's just a trick-taking game, but with a time travel element. Don't know how it works, but that sounds intriguing to me. Um, Cusco, which is just a reworking of Java from the the Mask Trilogy mm-hmm. from um, uh, another designer I really like. Uh, oh, Keasley and Kramer. Kramer. Yeah. Um, and it's by Super Meeple, so they like soup up their games. I have the Mexica, the new version of it, mm-hmm. which is really nice. And Decrypto Laser Drive. Yeah, that was one of my last. Yeah, so Decrypto, it, which we talked about before, is really cool. You have three words in front of you, mm-hmm. and you're going to have a team. You're going to draw a card. The card is going to have numbers on it. The numbers are going to refer to the the yeah. words on the on on the, your little dashboard, and you're <coughs> you're going to write down words that let your other team members know the order of which the numbers are appearing. Not even words. You can write full sentences if you yeah, want. This it's game. really broad. You're trying to obliquely reference the word in your sheet while not giving away your other team. And then as the game progresses, they'll get more and more and more and more words and phrases mm-hmm. and songs that usually just a single word that reference you, the words in your list. The so the team can intercept. Yeah. And uh, guess which order the words are in. And like yeah. Jacob said, the more and more the game uh, progresses, the yeah. more you're kind of going to get onto it. What we like to do at the end of the game, for no points or anything, just for fun, yeah. try to guess the words of yeah. our, our, our the opposing team. Yeah. What Laser Drive does is integrates that into the gameplay. Oh, yeah. fun. So what it does is you draw your, your card that has the numbers on it, then you draw a, another card, that card's going to have a category on it. Mm-hmm. If you write all three words under that category, you get like a laser drive token. For two laser drive tokens, you can discard them to guess the opposing team's word. Mm-hmm. And if you can guess their word exactly, then you get a white intercept chip. 
Okay, oh, that's uh, cool. Oh. So let me first start by saying I love the crypto. I'd love to play it more often. I think the thing about your crypto is that you feel so smart when you give. It gives you that high and low. It gives you that opportunity mm-hmm. to be super clever. It's fun to make good guesses. You really do feel great when you successfully guess the other person's team. But I mean, regarding the laser deck ones, I kind of like when I first saw it, I was like, oh, cool. And then it's got the box art and the crypto style because I really like the art style in the crypto. And it's like laser disc. So it's got that kind of retro technology thing. Yeah. Um, that being said, the mechanics in this don't make any sense to me. Um, so first of all, you're sabotaging yourself by having to give yourself a category because coming up with good clues into crypto can be hard. Mm-hmm. So you're giving yourself constraining like that, which is hard. And then you have to get not we'll do that not once but twice to get one red eye token. And then it gives you something that lets you guess the other player's word. But realistically, once you've guessed the other player's word for that one, a lot of times you've like already kind of got the game in the bag at that point. And then um, if you win that, you only get one white token. If you think about like how long you're going to have to progress that, you're getting one white token. I don't think this... Maybe I haven't played the game enough because... or and the games haven't gone long because like the last time we played it is sabotage, but I just don't see myself like getting excited about this. I don't see this being like, you know, radicalizing. Justin, you had something. I think it sounds like an interesting challenge. I'm always mm-hmm. interested in like new and different challenges, and so Decrypto really pulled me in uh-huh. because it was that challenge of uh-huh. I have to make these clues obscure, but not so obscure that my team can't uh-huh. guess them and lose. Um, and like those white chips are valuable mm-hmm. if you think about it. Like that's half a win. You, yeah, when you one white that. chip is half a win. So I think that, and it sounds to me like you don't always have to go with the category uh, nope. if I'm right. Matt, what was the question you were about to ask? Um, I'm not sure what you mean by you try and give yourself a category. You try and put your words into a category. So there's a deck of cards that you pull, and it'll have a category like movies. Uh-huh. And so, like, you have all the clues that you give uh-huh. um, can be oh, under that category. So cool. I try and do that for fun anyway. Just yeah. It's a fun thing yeah. to do. Yeah. And that's what I feel like the, the expansion is making it more challenging. Mm-hmm. But it, like Justine said, it's optional. You don't have yeah. to do it. But to me, it seems like kind of like... Um, you're going to win the game that way. You already have a white token. You already intercepted. Um, you've collected two red-eye tokens throughout the game, and now you're like, okay, now we're going to win the game by discarding these and guessing your your thing. I'm in. How many words do you have to guess of theirs? Just one. Just Sometimes one. you know yeah. one word, but you're still lost on the other three. Yeah. yeah. Sure. That sounds so interesting. I want to start duplicating start playing it like next time we play the crypto maybe that's the point of this expansion you buy it just to get people to play the crypto more because i would like to find some way to coerce and strong arm people to play the crypto more. Mm -hmm. that's what we're saying about all these gen con expansions Uh um there's one more gen con expansion it's i'm not sure how it's gonna work but welcome Two has a bunch of expansions coming out Yeah. yeah So I wrote them down. There's a Halloween expansion. There's Doomsday, which is like Doomsday Preppers. Uh-huh. Outbreak, which is Zombies. Spring, Summer, and Winter Wonderland. So if you want to play Welcome to for every single season, you can. And then some. Um, I don't know if it's just a sheet, the, like a stack of papers that are just rethemed. It looks like it might have cards as well. So I'm hoping that it's not like more base games. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, I'm not going to buy that many. Yeah. But I am interested in the Halloween and the Winter Wonderland one. I think that'd be fun to play around the holidays. I'd be interested to know for Welcome To or any other role and write, like how many people actually go through the entire stack? Because I feel like I own two 
two rolling rights, and I'm like, I'm like, maybe I own like ten rolling rights, and I've never gone through the stack. I always yeah. say like, yeah. I'm gonna laminate the last few, <laughs> but you're mm-hmm. nowhere near three. I'm, no, right? I'm nowhere near it. Maybe Gonshan Clever, I'm the closest. Is this six oh, yeah. things in one box or six different boxes? Diff- different. The, well, they they have them in at, in BGG. They have them broken up into separate ones. So I think it's individual ones that you can buy. I just wonder the packaging of them. Okay, so now with this being our first episode, we will let you get to know us through games that we enjoy a lot. Our top three favorite games of all time. Uh, um, So for me... My number three was probably, oddly enough, the hardest for me to come up with. My top two favorite games, I've known for a long time, but I've never asked myself what is like my number three or four or five or any of those. But um, I stared at my gaming collection and I really wanted to think what is just after my number two, and it's Trajan by Steffenfeld. Nice. Trajan is like five games in one. Um, Matt, you know this game very well. Is yes, there, it's my fifth favorite game. For is there worth. is there five mini games it's in it? Am I counting right? Six. Six. Oh, because different the, circle has its own mini game. Yeah. yeah. So your actions that you take is a game itself. It's a Mancala. and and then there's six different things that you can do, and each action that you take is its own little mini game that you can that you can do. It's point salad. But I feel like you can't go one route. You can't just mm-hmm. invest in just one of the mini games. You have to evenly spread out through a few. And gosh, man, I'm I'm thinking so much during this game. First, looking at the Mancala, what action do I want to take? I can't take it because I don't have enough of the pieces in the right. I'm counting, and then I'm looking at the central board. And it's just so engaging to me. Trajan by Steffenfeld. Oh, um, you know, the thing about this game is I think this is a game that if you had this questions every week, like my three answers might change every three weeks Sure. Um, for this issue. I mean, the first one I'll just say for this one is Brass. Brass is a game. I played the original version with the guy and the aristocratic. He's holding up the, the brass mm-hmm. thing in the cover yeah. there. One. I still I think it's sitting on my coffee table at home right now. Um, and I just fell in love with it. I just I loved the way all the other players interact with all the other players there. The player actor is amazing. Um, I just love building up your empire. I just always love the interesting decisions for that one. And, of course, now it's been reprinted. The game was formerly called Brass is now Brass Lancashire. Mm-hmm. And then also I feel like it's uh, Brass Birmingham, which just gets a little more of attention uh, these days. But, uh, yeah, Martin Wallace, brilliant design. I always bring it to the Brass Birmingham to board game meetups. I'd be happy to play it any time. So if you guys hear a weird gap and then the audio sounds. Oh, there's the door, too. <laughs> oh, It's no. right there. We had to bombard ourselves in a closet to finish yeah, the episode because zombie, uh, zombie apocalypse. <laughs> there's a there's a, a designers guild meet here here at Demolition and uh, this this has to be the best perfect location for a podcast. We're literally surrounded wall to wall by board games. We're using a board game as our table, yeah, uh, for the recorder, and we have a and the we're, board game. We're in the overstock to. of uh, of Demolition games right now, which is just all the games that are not on the shelf, and yeah. So if you could visualize, yeah, 
It's Maybe the warehouse in Indiana Jones, but instead of crates, it's just board games. <laughs> yeah, and we're somewhere in the middle of that one. So we'll continue with our favorite games of all time, starting with Matt with his number three. Um, my fav- my third favorite game of all time is Pulsar. All three games on my list kind of have the same thing going on. There's a variable setup that you have to, at the very beginning of the game, evaluate. So right up front, there's a big strategical decision. And then later on, the game gets more tactical or is purely tactical. Um, but I really like variable setups like there is in Pulsar. Um, I love the way the Pulsar does the tech tree. And I love the different paths to victory depending on the setup in Pulsar. I want to say off the top of my head, there's six different like main mechanisms that you could use for victory if you play it right. Um, and then once the game gets going, the dice drafting is really fun and interesting and it can get uh, really sharp is the word that I would say. Maybe I need to play Pulsar more because I, I didn't like it. I've played it twice and it's not that I thought it was a, bat, a poorly designed game. It's just that I felt just like lost throughout it. And I do this thing where I want to go and occupy most of the board and get those Pulsars down and I ignore the tech tree which is really bad and I always come in last place maybe it's just me I need to focus on on the technologies more but like there's so many and I have to learn so many of them that I just like I feel like my brain puts up this block and says no just do what you know what to do in board games and just like go take over everything and that's not how to win and that's probably more of a plus towards the game that you can't just win doing that so I need to play it more and I need to just like Stop being stupid about it and, and, and learn all the text. And I highly recommend it. I think we like a lot of the same board games, so that's maybe we give that one a second chance. Yeah, a third chance. I will. Um, so I will admit that I have really, really, really bad Cult of the New. So if you ask me what my three favorite board <laughs> games at any point, it's going to probably be the three newest games, the last three games I've played. So for this, I tried really hard to think about all of the games that I go back to over and over and over, all of the games that I've had on my shelf for years and that kind of feel like going home when I open up the box mm. and start playing. It's a good way to describe it, yeah. And so my third favorite one, Dorigan, was Suburbia. Um, yeah. There's just something about this game and the puzzle of putting all the hexes down and balancing your factories and your businesses and your houses and your government government buildings that is very it's a puzzle it's fun but it's not stressful i I love suburbia i used to bring in a board game meetups all the time i feel like it's just a classic and you can play it over and over again um i really like suburbia two players too there's not as much interference turn to turn Uh and it has a solo variant too for you, all you solo gamers, yeah. And uh, the other thing is, Suburbia has a rain. It's like one of the only games with a random marketplace that I really like there uh, for that issue. Mm-hmm. You know what's weird though? Instead of being like, I want to check out Ted Allspec's other design. Every time I see another design game, I'm like, No, you already peaked with Suburbia. I don't want anything else. I'll just play Suburbia. Did he do? <laughs> did he weird. do um, Castles of Mad King Ludwig? Yeah, as well? yeah. Yes, that's that's that game is good. pretty good. I recommend yeah. it. I re- yeah. Um, my number two. Uh, has been talked about this show and it's Lorenzo El Magnifico it's a worker placement game it's a set collection game it's an engine building game it's a resource conversion game it's a lot of mechanics 
all in one that is streamlined to work very well and it's extremely tight because not only if you go to a space a worker placement space are you blocking somebody from going to that space but you're blocking somebody from going to that whole building because it costs three dollars um if you go to that particular building so you it's cards too so they come out randomly the places are all, all going to be random but they're age one two and three so they ramp up in price and in the things they're going to provide for you and i feel like i'm always doing math in that game and i'm not very good at math so this is a good opportunity for me to get better at math because especially the last round of the game i am mathing out what card is going to be worth the most points for me and i'm looking at the entire board and there's four buildings with four cards right so there's a lot of choices going on and i'm and i'm going with what's going to be the most optimal moves for me and it's such a great strategic game because during the round when the round starts every single one of my workers has a job that i'm going to give him because what you do is you roll the dice and the dice are going to determine every worker for every person because the workers have a color on them associated with the color of the die. So I feel almost like it's thematic because I'm like, this guy is smarter than the other guy <laughs> and he's going to go higher up in this building to get me this. And you have servants to add to the pips so there's mitigation to bad rolls. Yeah. And I feel like it's just for me, like a perfectly designed game, even though it doesn't have perfect information, the randomness is toward everyone and is mitigated. And I love it. And it's Simone Luciani, mm -hmm. Lorenzo Ab Magnifico. The randomness is high and it, yeah, it doesn't bug me at all. Yeah. It just makes yeah. it fun. It mm. affects all the players even. It's almost like the, the roll of the dice is this year's crop. So like sometimes you'll get really high numbers and it's like, I can do anything. And then sometimes all the numbers will become low, but it's like it affects all the players the same. So mm -hmm. like sometimes yeah. you're like, what am I going to do with these low numbers? So it's God. almost like the education yeah. of that year yeah. was poor. Yeah. And yeah. then <laughs> so like people are like, I don't know these new technologies coming out in these buildings. I can't go up there. And then the servants are like, we'll help you. Uh, oh. There's sort of like an ant and a grasshopper kind of thing going on too, because nothing is. feels better than having planned for one of those poor years where you roll like a one and two twos and you're like yeah but i have this power that makes my dice a six so mm -hmm. yeah uh, that's fun also um there's chains you can do right there's some really cool chaining you can do to just feel satisfied you could take a really satisfying turn or you can take a really dissatisfying turn go to the spot that just gives you five coins but you're still anticipating the next round. You're like, well, at least next round I'll be rich and I won't be I won't be locked out of any buildings. Nice. Uh, the second game I put in my three games is uh, not a game that's really thought of as a board game or talked about in Mumboard. It's, it's just Texas Hold'em Poker, the kind of tech you can play with a 52-card uh, deck. This is probably one of the games I spent the most hours playing, um, both in like informal settings uh, among friends and then also at like a bar where encouraging the actual proper rules like at a tournament there um, and I guess when I think about board games and what I want them to do with them um, I, for the first time I feel about what the kind of emotion it brings out of me um, for those ones I, and I feel like Texas and Oklahoma has these just great moments of just ambitious bluffs and then also just like 
pins and needles. Just I don't know what's going to happen in this one. This person's lying to me for these ones. And just the peaks of these emotions, there's nothing quite integrates all those elements like for me. And then the other thing that um, uh, is just, you know, it tends to vary in the people you play with. It. It's, it's interesting when we talk about board games. We don't tend to think about, like, the people at the table as being an integral part of the board game. In poker, it's impossible to think of poker without thinking about all the different people on the table. The how you play reflects your personality. People with a very loose wild will play loose and wild and sometimes be very good with that. People more conservative can play with that and also win. So there's a couple issues I have with Texas Hold'em. Okay. And none of it is luck of the draw or any of that. One, when you look at designer board games, they're mm-hmm. typically better than any game you could play with a, uh, a regular 52-card deck. And I feel like there's games that are, that do what the interesting the interesting parts of, of Texas Hold'em, but better. Uh-huh. But also, it does depend on who you're playing uh-huh. with, because if you introduce a noob into Texas Hold'em, it could ruin the whole game because they'll just stay in on nothing. And but I mean, the game has a lot to do with bluffing. But also, my biggest issue with Texas Hold'em is that if you're not playing for money, it all of a sudden becomes a bad game because there's no incentive to ever um, fold. Um, That's true, but uh, I would say not an unreasonable uh, demand um, for a game to be played under the circumstances in which it will play best. Poker is very different than the games we play. A lot of the games we play, they have a very start, beginning, and end. Poker is a game that a lot of times the rounds of poker will be very quickly, in very quickly, and very anticlimactically. It's a game that's meant to play it over a long series of time and have it developed there. And it's also more of an open-ended game. I feel like it almost harkens back to like games where people would play just kind of rounds of games and games to just kind of go on all night, as opposed to having a game very start and any points in the scoring of the game where it's more fluid like that. Um, I, I will end it with a positive note about Texas Hold'em, though. I complain a lot about these games that I feel that are outdated and that have designer games have done a better job with, like chess and Go, but you cannot play a modern-day board game without having appreciation for these games, because if it wasn't for Texas Hold'em, we wouldn't have some of the great card and board games that we have today, because there are designers that played that game, grew up playing that game, and took some of the best parts and turned it into a, a board game. Yeah. Same with chess and same with Go. So my number two is Great Western Trails, a very popular game. Um, one thing I value in the game is that it's easy to get off the shelf, right? Like, I have a lot of favorite games that no one will play with me, so are they my favorite game? <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never hard to get Great Western Trails off the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in a broken record. The big strategical decision up front of which way you want to go, whether it's with engineers, cowboys, or builders, and um, you kind of want to zig when other people are zagging. Um, so that's maybe a little bit rock, paper, scissory, but it's different than that. And then you want to optimize your route, and then you want to pound it hard, but the game doesn't overstay its welcome. It's not one of those games where you find your optimal engine and then you run it 500 times, and by the last one you're just pouring and dying, forward and dying for the game to end. Mm-hmm. I'd say this game always ends too soon for me, and there's always, oh, but I just needed to get this done. Um, and it's tense the whole time. And the player interaction is the most take that, but Eurofied there is. You, The worst thing you can do to somebody is just put a building in their path and then they have to pay you a tax as they pass it, which doesn't usually end their life, except for when it does. Except for when it does. 
then it feels like a nice party. <laughs> and that's that great thing of board gaming. You get all that money. Like, you arrive in St. I've only played once in Kansas City, is it? And then you just get, like, a whole bunch. You sell your cows and you just get a whole bunch oh, of money. Oh, yeah. You start the next turn rich. You're yeah. like, what could go wrong? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great Western Trail is a great game. And it's interesting because you're building your engine on your own personal rondelle, basically. Mm-hmm. And you're deck building, but the deck building is very thematic because the, the deck you're building is cows, right? It's cattle. Yeah. That you're going to deliver at the end of the rondelle, then start back over again. I think that's a great choice. I love Great Western Ch- Trail. Uh, Alexander Fister's one of my favorite designers. Um, I will say my second was also Great Western Trail. Hey. Um, a lot of the same things. Um, that there's a take that mechanic, but it doesn't feel horrible. It's a really fun puzzle to try and decide. Like, are you going to go for cowboys and get? a ton of really good cows? Are you going to go engineers and go far on the train tracks? Are you going to get um, builders, build a bunch of buildings in people's way? And there's some of the funnest times is when you figure out a strategy because the thing about taxing the other players on your building is if you pass their building and you don't have any money, you don't pay them. Yeah, so there's no punishment, right? yeah, Yeah, figuring out how to dump all your money before you pass somebody else's building is really fun. Would you guys suggest the expansion? Yes. Uh, I, If I were to play 100 times, I would want to play with the expansion maybe 50. It's I don't ever want to not play the base game again. Unfortunately, I think that number for me is going to be like 95 because everyone else seems to really love the expansion. So it's, you don't feel that it's an, an essential to the game? It's definitely not essential. Okay. It brings builders a little bit more into balance for people who haven't played a lot. Yeah. But once you've played a lot, I think the original game is completely balanced, uh, really expertly balanced, and the expansion is just different, not necessarily better or worse, so I would say, for variety's sake, play it half with, half without. Cool. So my number one of all time is Lisboa by Vital Acerta, and released by Eagle Griffin Games. I mentioned Eagle Griffin because when they release these big games, especially the Vital Acerta games, there, it's just a fantastic production. The box itself is big and thick and could take a lot of abuse. The boards have the um, the double inlay. I, I, I don't know what they call it, but they have the recessed board, so like all the components can fit very nicely on it. And it looks just like elegant. The art is done by Ian O'Toole, and he's one of my favorite um, graphic designers and artists in the game. And it's just pretty. When it's set up, it's so like elegant looking and they they use the portuguese style art for it and i found the history of what which the game is based on very interesting mm-hmm. um lisboa is based on lisbon is the um capital of, of portugal and in the 1600s it tells late, you on late, the cards it tells you on the cards <laughs> the, i think it's the late 1600s they had a, an awful disaster happen to them a huge earthquake followed by a a tsunami, followed by fires for five days straight. And they had a decision to abandon the town, but the king decided to rebuild. And what they don't tell you in the game, because I looked into the history of it, is they blocked off the whole city and forced the uh, citizens to rebuild with them. So what you're doing is you're rebuilding Lisbon, and it's very thematic... And it's very, it's in, which is very rare for a heavy Euro game to actually have the theme work for the game. But everything you're doing makes sense. Like, um, 
you're taking favors from the church, but you can turn in those favors for victory points because the king disagreed with the church. So that like makes sense. Um, it has a lot of different um, mechanisms in it. There's area control, and there's like some like partial engine building in it. Um, it and it can be explained where it's very simple. You play a card. You either play a card to the community board or you play a card to your own board. But it's not that simple because playing those cards will trigger all kinds of different actions. Um, it's very engaging, and I could play it over and over again. And that's Lishmoa. My number one game was just going to be uh, T2. T2 is a classic shedding game. Um, it's sort of a complicated game. You you have a, it's played with exactly four players. You play with a teammate, and then you hand have a hand of cards. And it's essentially it's a climbing game where you're going to play out a card, and the other players can play higher, like that one, or a type of card, so you can play a full house or a straight or something along those lines. Um, and in a weird way, T2 um, evokes theme. Um, more than a lot of games, other games, you have this sort of feeling where you're almost trying to get away with something, you're trying to pull something off. It always feels like you're kind of trying to escape or something along those lines. When you call out a teachu or grand teachu, which is a way of the bidding, it feels like you're trying to, uh, you're really just trying to pull something off there. Um, I've played a lot of hours of this game. This is games I typically play with some friends for this issue. It's games that doesn't really come out at board game meetups um, as much. Um, but no, it's it's a good game, and it also has that feeling of a card game that you can kind of just sit in like somebody's living room or an enclosed space and play this game for hours. It's a game that wants to be played for a very long time. When you first start playing, it does seem a little bit obtuse and a little overwhelming. And as you play it more, it sort of kind of reveals itself there. Um, so that's Teach You. It's a game I've played quite a lot and enjoy. I've <laughs> only played the game once, and it is like one of the most complicated card games I've ever played. But yeah. that's not a diss to the game. You're absolutely right. It wants to be played over and over again. Yeah. But yeah, I just feel like it mitigates the luck of the draw so much because there's so yeah. many different options that you can go. I think it's a great game that I need to play uh, a lot more. So it seems like you're the cards guy. Maybe I'm the cubes guy and you're the complex rules guy. We need a niche for you, Justine. <laughs> <laughs> you had one Euro game on your list. <laughs> Two cards uh, games. Yeah, that's um, true. Uh, so for my number one, it's Terra Mystica. I've played it like 700 times. Um, is that after, true? Yeah. 700? Yeah, for sure. Um, we play online. I like okay, games online, online. Included. Yeah, okay. I've only played live like six times. Okay. I don't know. Um, after about 20 playthroughs, certain parts of the magic wear off, but then the strategy gets deeper. You think the meta game is stale, and then about 100 playthroughs, you find out something else. Uh, you can study the game like you can study chess, and with the variable setup, every single game feels different and interesting. Um, there's definitely common paths you take, but then you expertly deviate from them. Um, game is unimpeachable. No criticisms can be offered. Jacob? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like Terra Mystica. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, is there an accepted tier list of the different factions? Because people don't know, Terra Mystica has completely asymmetrical which ones. And they're all different enough. I would say they're actually significantly different how they interact with board. They typically have a, have a special ability and some kind of drawback. And I know for new players, it's typically like because I don't understand how for this one, one for this yeah. one. It's but, uh, interesting. So uh, about a year after the game came out, the tier list kind of morphed. Initially, some of the easier yeah. factions to play were considered overpowered. And then just through playing and playing, different people found different stuffs. <laughs> different stuffs. And uh, different factions became quote-unquote overpowered. And now you can ask a bunch of different players and they would think different factions are overpowered. 
there's undeniably tears, but the tears are fine. And also, they started auctioning for factions. So, okay. if you get a weak faction, but a 15 victory point bonus oh. to start the game, you know, there's, so there's skill in that. And, oh, uh, sorry. And then it's also a cool enough game where sometimes, like, for instance, the Nomads, their gimmick is they have this building that turns one hex per turn yellow. Uh-huh. That's, like, their whole gimmick. I've seen high-level games where the Nomads win without even building that. So that's a mark of the that there are different paths of victory in the game, even if don't let people tell you otherwise. Uh, and then Terramisk has one expansion, Fire and Ice. Is it considered to be a must-have? Is it kind of optional? As the the factions, can you put, just the play more, with the new factions with the base game? Yes, they can. The more chessy people like the old game without the new factions, uh-huh. and then maybe the more Euro gamey or more modern people think that, of which I am one. Um, think the expansion is essential because it disrupts the meta, and that's what keeps the game new and interesting. It's almost like the store was green with the more chess. Yeah, you just, <laughs> yeah. You just ding, got ding, something ding, right. Ding, ding. <laughs> Comes out with another couple maps for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. Oh, neat. Um, for new players to Terramisca, there is a, a setup that, in which it suggests which factions to play with. Mm-hmm. So if if you feel like you're too intimidated to play it, just play it and just like go by what the rulebook tells you to do for your first play, and I think you'll be fine. Oh, yeah. I think they're coming out with yet another expansion for that one. But what is your favorite game? So my favorite game of all time, Castles of Burgundy. We've talked about it earlier in the show. And Castles of Burgundy is like, it's that one game that I can wake up on a Saturday morning and pull off the shelf and play. Um, Castles of Burgundy is an easy game to play, but there's depth to it. It's like a it's like a really good abstract game that's not an abstract game. Yeah. Um, I think Castles of Burgundy is a shelf staple. I feel like every Euro game sh- gamer should have it, and on my shelf there will always be a place for it, even if I don't play it for an entire year, because I know that it will eventually get played, and when it gets played, I will like it. Uh, yeah, it's also like, to me it's like the quintessential Euro game. Like part of the reason why I want to pull it out because it sort of exemplifies what Euro game. I have two questions. So Castleburgers has one expansion, uh, the Trade Routes expansion. Mm-hmm. Have you played that? Do you consider it essential? I played it. It's. I mean, no, I don't consider it essential. It's fun. It adds some things, but I don't consider it essential. Uh, and then second of all, do you consider, because the thing is, when I played it with my girlfriend, I went after the Silver Mines, and then I had other tasks that combo with the Silver Mines, and I felt like that just got my engine going, where she didn't pick up on that. I was wondering, is that like a thing you kind of have to know? Are those overpowered? Mm-hmm. Is Silver Mines overpowered early game? Uh, I think Silver, Pine, Silver Mines are overpowered if you get all of them early on. Yeah. Your opponent has to know that they can't let you. Okay. So in a game of uh, castles of Burgundy, where you've got, um, where you've got a bunch of experienced players, you're not going to get all the silver mines that you want or need mm-hmm. because they're not going to let you do that. Unless you invest too much in turn order, and right. then you'd have boats and silver mines, which maybe isn't enough to win. Yeah, um, castles of Burgundy might be a game that I would upgrade to the 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 second edition coming out. Um, I don't mind Euro games looking boring. I don't mind that Castles of Burgundy is all beige. What I do mind is that the buildings can tend to look very similar on the chits, and I hope that they fix that. But um, 
I also think it's a game that you could buy the first edition and be fine because the game's so intriguing that it doesn't have to look pretty. But um, yeah, but I, I probably will upgrade just because I, I might keep both. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but things that, speaking of things that look good, uh, we have a board game in front of us, which we're not sure about the pronunciation. Anyone want to give it a shot? Um, according to online, no, I'm not even going to give it a try because I will well, say it's, it's it wrong. Portuguese, it. cause it's Portuguese because it's Ariel. There you go. By Pandasaurus Games. Um, as far as I read, Ariel is like a, a festival in, in, in Portugal where they basically just like party. And we're taking out the components. And oh man, this looks neat. There's a little wheel, a spinning wheel. Hopefully it's not spin the move. I'm kidding. It's definitely not. Yeah. Um, it's a polyamino, polyomino yeah. style game where it has Tetris style pieces. Um, so the first thing I notice is that it's by, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Nuno Pizarro, or Bizarro Sentiero. And um, he's done other games. Or no, is it Paulo Solendad that did Panamax? They, they're usually a partnership. They're a they partnership. Do. Okay. And so they did Panamax and Nippon. And this looks completely different from either of those games. Um, if, you're, if you look at the cover of Panamax, it's very blue and black. And there's a picture of a boat and a guy staring out at you. It's like the quintessential board game cover. And then Nippon is like a dude hauling a wheelbarrow full of coal, and he's way grumpy. <laughs> yeah. And this cover is the the name is in cursive, and then you've got a bunch of super colorful people with colorful dresses. It's a very cartoonish art style. Yeah. It's very like old style yeah. like art, right? Like it it looks the people look kind of like um like like. 40s cartoon, mm -hmm. like the yeah. kind of cartoons that I watch and like get scared of just because the movement is yeah. weird in it. Yeah. They look vaguely Picasso-ish to me. It looks like yeah, a Picasso yeah. painting. It's, it's, I, like, I like the way it looks. Yeah, I, mean, just I do like the way it looks. At the box, I can say, you know, typically, um, when you go into, like the game store we typically play at, Demolition Games, um, it's not uncommon to have a table that just have like filled with board games on it and have there. And I think if Ario was on a board game, it's a game that would make you kind of attracted. It's very different than other games. It looks very colorful. I think it's very striking to the eye. Um, I think they did a good thing where the it doesn't really have a background. It's it's sort of like color for people on a white background. Um, and I think the design aesthetic in this game is really, really good. It looks different than other games. It looks very bright and cheerful. And it sort of draws me in when I see this board game. I want to crack it open and find out what it's about. The rule book is only seven pages long. Nice. So not a lot of rules. It has a solo mode to it. Mm -hmm. The wheel, it looks like, um, is going to have the different tiles on it that are going to allow you to put different pieces down. Um, and it looks like it turns maybe every round and on the, the, the spinning board it has like sections that have mm -hmm. looks like different resources you have mm -hmm. to spend to get those tiles. Mm -hmm. Opponents seem yeah. nice. Yeah. Uh, there's mm -hmm. cards that I, I always want cards to be good quality. These look fine. Uh, they're not linen finish but that's fine. They're little squares so yeah. good thing you guys don't. Uh, but the sleeve your good. sleeve your cards because yeah. I don't know if this is a this might be one of those sizes that are hard to find. There's a little yeah. bunch of meeples in it. Double some meeples. extra. Oh, double. Me I thought this was extra pieces, but it's that. double meeples. They're holding hands, having fun. They got drunk That's and are cool. making bad decisions. Yeah, the visual of this game is really good. Tiles are very thick. Yeah. There's people decisions. necking. Is that what I would say? They're necking on it. Yeah. 
There's lots of bad decisions happening here. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. so, in the art, not the game. Oh, and the player boards are nice and thick. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, so what's our expectations of it? I think uh, for the type of game it is, I think I'll like it. It looks it looks interesting. It looks a little bit more going on than most of these style of games have, which I'm, I'm intrigued by. I definitely trust the designers. Mm-hmm. I'm interested because it is so different. They usually go for like heavy, heavy, heavy uh, Euro games. Like Panamax and Nippon are both very, very heavy games. So I'm really excited to see their take on this. Is it going to be a heavy pentomino stacking game? Or is it going to be a light, fun game in their style? So tune in next week as we give our actual opinions about the game after we've played it. That's all the time we have today. Thank you for tuning in to Cards, Cubes, and Complex Rules. Uh, We'd like to thank Lindsay Johnson for composing the theme song. And we'd like to encourage everybody to think on other people's terms. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) See you later, guys.